0: and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you have your Bibles and you haven't already, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. We're going to camp out here this morning. Uh, well, y'all, I love movies, action, suspense, adventure, drama, and, and, and yes, even some rom-coms. I, I love movies. I can't get enough of them. And while I haven't been in a while, I mean, mostly because I can't stay up past 10 o'clock anymore, but I also love going to midnight premieres of movies. Listen, I've been to and seen The Dark Knight Rises as a midnight premiere, Pirates of the Caribbean, James Bond, The Hobbit series, and, and all the new Star Wars. See, I love going to these midnight premieres. I love planning out the details and, and getting a group of people, and, and before you can reserve a, a seat in a the theater, getting there early, getting in line, and so you can get a, a, a spot right at the middle of the theater to watch the movie and so you're, you're there and you're about to watch the movie and before any movie not just midnight premieres you would see trailers or, or previews for upcoming movies some would be great and some uh, not so great but you see that the purpose of these movie previews was to get you excited about coming back and seeing the next big show on the big screen See, not every preview, though, lives, lives up to the hype. Uh, one that just comes to my mind, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, is Star Wars The Last, Last Jedi. Man, did not like that movie whatsoever. Uh, there's another movie that we're, where Han and I watched the preview. We got really excited. We went to the movie theater. We sat down. It started. And man, it was just terrible. <laughs> like, we, we walked out of the movie. It was that bad. But you see, other previews do live up to the hype. One that comes to mind is The Dark Knight Rises. Man, I love that movie. In my opinion, Bane, one of the best casted villains in, in movie history, but I loved seeing that movie and I, and I still watch it today. But listen, you know what I haven't watched again? I haven't watched the trailer again. I haven't watched the preview again because after going to see the movie, man, I never woke up one morning and was like, man, like, yeah, I would rather watch the preview. No. I mean, why? Because previews are unfinished clips of movies to get you excited and, and, and looking forward to the actual thing, to the actual movie. So today, as we jump into our first part of our Advent series, Christ is All, we're going we're gonna to take a look at how the law was a preview of Christ. And so if you're following along the bulletin this morning, uh, the first point is preview of Christ. And so let's jump in and look at the first four verses in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been once clean, would no longer have any con- conscience of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Before we even, even dive in and, and, and dissect these verses, we need to ask the question, well, what is the law? When the Bible mentions the law, what is the law? Well, sometimes the law is referred to as the Mosaic law given by God to Moses for the people of God. And you see this, this law revealed God's standard of righteousness. It revealed the requirements for holiness given by God in order for his people to enjoy fellowship with him. It taught them how to obtain and maintain holiness. See, God cannot be in the presence of sin for he is holy. You see, his people in in us, we are not holy. We sin and the law reveals what must be accomplished to be holy, to be set apart. Well, so how did the people respond to this law? We all like they could not keep the law. And if you read through the Old Testament, uh, it'll reveal how they continually failed to keep it. I mean, when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law from the Lord, the rest of the people were on the bottom of the mountain and they were worshiping a golden calf, like right off the bat, could not keep the law. Well, then what was God's plan for his people who could not keep the law and the law? Well, see, God knew his people could not keep the law. The law was meant for them to reach God's standard, but they could not do it. So God set up a sacrificial system in order for their sins to be atoned for, to be paid for, to get them back to holiness. In fact, one day of the year was set aside for all the people of Israel to come together. This was called the the Day of Atonement. On that day, the, the priest would offer one bull and one goat for the sins of the Israelite community. But you see, the, the sacrifice, the day of atonement wasn't the only sacrifice that needed to be made. Yes, that one was made year after year. But if you even wanted to approach God uh, and, and to seek him and to seek his wisdom, man, there were sacrifices that had to be made every time. There was no just like bowing your head and praying to the Lord. You had to go and atone for your sins in order to have access to the Lord. So you would have sacrifices, burnt offerings, uh, grain offerings, fellowship offering, first fruit offerings offerings. There were so many sacrifices for their sins. You know, this, this sacrificial system that was set up, I mean, it, it was a very bloody event. I mean, if you read in First in, in Kings and in Second Chronicles about the temple dedication, you'll read that 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats were slaughtered, were sacrificed to dedicate the temple. You can also read in, in ancient Jewish texts and in Jewish historians, where, where they depict priests waiting up to their knees, waiting up to their knees in blood. And some even describe 1.2 million animals being slaughtered on a single day. Now, whether these numbers are, are correct or, or, or not, like the point is made, right? Like this was a massively bloody event, so much blood. Now, now think for a second. Think about the the effect that this must have had on the people. Watching, listening, participating. And in in, in the burnt offering, the the, the offer would participate in the sacrifice. They would bring their sacrifice. They bring a goat. They would lay their hand on the neck of the goat while the priest cut open the goat, slaughtered the goat as a sacrifice. The priest would then take the blood splatter it on the altar. Now just imagine the the screams and the, the death throes of the, of the goats and lambs and cattle. I don't know if, if y'all have been around many animals, but animals don't do what you want them to do. Especially like they're not just gonna hop on the altar to be sacrificed. You have to drag them up, bind them up and kill them and slaughter them and sacrifice them. And they would do this. And they would return year After year, because what they had done. Their sin required sacrifice. And these sacrifices, while not a complete removal of sin, they were a complete reminder of their sin. Their sin deserved death. You see, these sacrifices served to remind the people of God of the horrific effects of their sin and to encourage them to be obedient to God, to to remind them to pursue holiness. You see, we are in the Christmas season right now, and there's things set up all around us to remind us that what season we're in, from from lights on houses, to decorations inside the house, to to Christmas music being played. We have reminders all around us, And, and while Hannah and I and, and my family don't do this, uh, the, the, the idea of the elf on the shelf is out there. You see, um, while Israel's reminder was, was graphic and it was visible, uh, in the same way, in, in a far less graphic way, an elf on the shelf serves as a similar sort of reminder. You see that the family watches the elf and in the mornings they, the family wakes up and maybe the elf has been mischievous. I've seen Instagram and, and YouTube and Facebook videos and pictures of like an elf like playing poker or like trying to unwrap a gift too early. But you see that the, the purpose of this elf on the shelf is that the elf watches the family, watches the family behavior and he reports to Santa what's going on. Bad behavior, coal. Good behavior, hey, good gifts. The elf serves as a reminder to be good. Sacrifices to the Israelites served as a reminder of the horrific effects of their sin. You see the problem with the sacrificial reminder, y'all, it was never enough. Guilt remained, consciences not clean because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. You see, this this Greek word for for take away, the, the root of it means to execute, to destroy. These sacrifices could not take away, could not destroy the problem. They were a preview of what would destroy the problem, what would take away sins. Unlike the elf on the shelf, no matter how good Israel's deeds were or how good their sacrifice was, the report to God was always the same, imperfect, not enough. Their sacrifices, not enough. Their ability, not enough. They cannot solve their problem. They couldn't do it. But you see like us in our culture, and we like to glorify our abil- ability. We like to think that, that we can do it. I mean, whether it be in, in, at work in your work performance at, at school with your grades, or even like an athletic ability on a sports field, we, we, we think we can do it. And, and, and more often than that, when we do something good, we, we like to take credit for it too. I mean, even if, even if you want to do the Christian thing and like humble brag, like, no, stop, but like, actually, come on. Or, or uh, yeah, 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 praise God, but like, look at what I did. We like to glorify our ability. And not even in in these areas of work, school, and in the sports field. We like to take our great ability and apply it to our problems. And emptiness, loneliness, injustice in the world, anger, rage, abuse, sexual sin in our lives. We like to think that we can solve it. We can fix it if we just do enough. However, the problem remains, hard work, sacrifice cannot solve our issues. You see, uh, JB preached this last week, you can't do it. The root, of issue, the, the root of the issue is sin and you can't solve it. And as we were reminded time and time again that we can't do it, Israel was reminded sacrifice after sacrifice but their sin still remained. Their problem remained. And while the law could not solve it, it did preview the solution. The law served as a preview for who would solve the problem. Ultimately, Christ would solve this problem. And Hebrews speaks to this effect. So let's read the next verses, verses five through 10. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In order for us to, to understand the, these verses, y'all, we need to get a picture of what's going on. Uh, These verses are a direct quotation from from Psalm chapter 40. And and, and in here, uh, David wrote the Psalm, but he's prophetically looking at the coming of Jesus. And see, this is a conversation. This is a throne room conversation with Jesus, with the Father, before he comes to the earth. So Jesus is talking with the the, the Father in Psalm chapter 40. And these these verses are, are going to reveal the purpose of Christ. Second point, the the purpose of Christ. So you read here and it says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Behold, I have come to do your will. So if you're reading this and you see in verse five and six and again in eight, it says, sacrifices offered according to the law were not pleasing. You might be thinking, Did not the the Lord prescribe these sacrifices? Was this not a a part of the law to get back to holiness? Like, what's going on? I mean, if this is not pleasing to God, what is pleasing to God? Well, holiness, obedience. The law reveals the standard of righteousness, the standard of holiness to enjoy fellowship. That's what's pleasing to God. Well, what then of sacrifices? We can read throughout the Old Testament in First Samuel and throughout the Psalms and Jeremiah and Isaiah that you see that these prophets are saying over and over again that God desires obedience over sacrifice. You see, these sacrifices became a, a more of a religious practice done void of the heart, done with an empty heart, with no desire to obey In fact, if you read in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul just had a victorious victory over an enemy. And God said, hey, when you defeat them, sacrifice all the animals, slaughter, slaughter all the animals, take no plunder. But you see, when Saul defeated the enemy, he took the plunder, he took animals with them. And when, when Samuel shows up, Samuel's like, hey, like you weren't supposed to do this. Saul's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let me go ahead and sacrifice to the Lord then. You see, Saul was trying to treat these sacrifices as if like a means to pay God off. And in response to this, uh, Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. One commentator wrote, What God desires from us is obedience, not sacrifices to cover our disobedience. Our issue, we can't obey. Instead, we rebel. That's our response. Because you see, Jesus had a different response. Jesus says, A body you have prepared for me, behold, I have come to do your will. Now, if we look at Psalm 40 in, uh, in actual Psalms, in, in, the, in the Hebrew language that it was written in, and, re, and remember that, that Hebrews in the, in the New Testament written in Greek, but it's written to a Hebrew audience. And so if you're reading Psalm 40 in Psalms, not in Hebrews, uh, the, the word not desired there, that direct translation of that is not pleasing. And the word for will, to do someone's will, is to do what is pleasing. So while sacrifices could not fully please God, Jesus, incarnate, taking on flesh in bodily form, could please God. He does what we cannot do. He is obedient while we are not obedient. Verse verse 10 takes this Hebrew idea of pleasing one step further and it says, by that will, we have been sanctified, been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That will is God's will. what's, What's pleasing to God? So what do these verses reveal what is pleasing to God? The offering of Jesus's body. Look, problem answered, solution found. Our disobedience, our sin displeased God. Sacrifices of animals didn't, couldn't fix our sin problem. But Jesus' obedience pleased, pleases, and will please God for all time. His obedience to do the Father's will. Philippians 2 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The law was a preview of Christ and the law reveals the purpose of Christ. His purpose was to be the greatest sacrifice and in so fulfilling the law. Verse nine says, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And This, this first, this first law, this first order was law and sacrifice. And it was established for 1400 years from, from Moses to Jesus 1,400 years, God taught sacrifice as a means to atone for sin. Sacrifice, although never enough, was a means to atone for sin. And then God comes and Jesus comes, takes some flesh, and God puts him on a cross and calls him a sacrifice. See, Jesus solved the issue himself. Jesus' purpose to be the greatest sacrifice but we don't like sacrifice. No, 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 we, and even if we do, we, we, we complain about it. We complain about sacrificing. But you see that this was not the picture in the throne room conversation from Psalm 40. No complaining, not sad, not a somber tone. And, and I would even argue like, man, this was joyful. Like we know this from, to be true from the angel's response in Luke 2. When, when Jesus is born, we can read in Luke 2 where it says, that an angel of the Lord stood before them, stood before the shepherds of the field, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people." And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. Joyful response. Now we're going to sing, hark the herald angel sing," And, it, and, it, and, the, and the, the, the lyrics go something like this. Hark the herald angel sing, glory to the newborn king. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born. Then it says, hail the, the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness, born that man no more may die. Born to rise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Rejoicing, not complaining. Hebrews twelve two. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, follow Jesus' example. The greatest sacrifice was a sacrifice in joy and a not complaining. You see, even more so, like Jesus is not a, a, a dead sacrifice. Like, this is crazy. Jesus is not a dead sacrifice but a, a living sacrifice. Like think back to the sacrificial system. There were, there were no like lambs rising from the dead, like dead, but then like, oh, we have a Frankenstein Bambi on our hands. No, like, like they died. End of story. Jesus died and rose. He is the original living sacrifice. And we too are to be living sacrifices. Romans 12:1 says, "'Therefore, brothers and sisters,' In view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You see, Jesus is the living sacrifice who was holy for the unholy, pleasing for the displeasing. So in view of this, in view of the mercy and grace he showed us through his sacrifice, we are to follow his example You see in this Christmas season there's a lot of good things going on this holiday season I and mean, we just had Thanksgiving and we're looking forward to Christmas a lot of good food uh, college football bowl games season is about to be upon us like good things but I then mean, this season is also filled with with not so great things with stress and anxiety and and and, and more strain of of expenses on a on a budget holiday gatherings that that you'd rather not go to, family events where there's gonna be more drama than relaxation. You see, in this season, with all of that going on, there's gonna be a pull on you to lose focus on being a living sacrifice. While the season was founded on the joyful coming of a sacrifice, like, don't lose focus. Live sacrificially, not just in gift giving, but in life giving. I think we could all agree that 2020 has been hard, been difficult, and and for some, been lonely. Y'all, it doesn't have to end this way. It doesn't have to end this way. What if for your friends, your family, your, your, your neighbors, your coworkers, and even your classmates, 2020 ends, not in further despair, but in joy. What if by watching you live sacrificially in in word and in action, and by you sharing Jesus with them, they too may experience the joy of the gospel. Experience the joy through belief in Jesus's sacrifice by his death and resurrection that solves their sin problem, solves their hurt, solves their pain, solves their loneliness. Church family, follow Jesus's example as the living sacrifice. Jesus freely and joyfully offered himself so that those who were dead may be alive. You see, what's interesting here even, even more is that Jesus freely offered himself to be sacrificed. No cow, no no lamb, no no goat ever sacrificed himself. Like I said earlier, no one just like jumped on the off altar and said, okay, goat, he's ready to die. No, like, there, was, there were priests to do that, priests to pull them and, and place them on the altar. You see, Jesus, he offered himself. John 10, 18 says, no one, Jesus is saying, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up Again, y'all, Jesus is the greatest sacrifice and the great high priest. Hebrews ten eleven through 14 re- reveal the priesthood of Christ. Third point this morning, the priesthood of Christ. Let's, let's read these verses 11 through 14. And it says, Every priest stands daily at a service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, awaiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, these verses paint the picture of, of two priests. You have your old covenant, your Old Testament priest, and you have Jesus as priest. For the Old Testament priest, man, it was tiring. Every day, standing, sacrificing. And if you look at pictures of of the the tabernacle and the temple, like there was no chair around for them to sit down after they sacrificed. And it sacrificed and sit back and relax. No, there wasn't a chair because their job was never finished. Sin still remained. So every day. New cow, new goat, new offering, and it didn't make a dent in the problem of sin, but Jesus won sacrifice, maybe heavy and, and weighty you can read jesus in the in the garden before he before he died, but but not tiring. he has sat down. Matthew eleven says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you." Rest, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all, the work is finished. No more sacrifice. At the cross, Jesus declared this, it is finished. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Eugene Peterson writes, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Perfect sacrifice, perfect person to perfect imperfect people. Jesus did what the Old Testament priests could not do. His sacrifice, his offering, his body, perfect. The priest, 1400 years never offered, never offered a perfect sacrifice. This wasn't like dude perfect. You know, dude perfect. They they shoot, they throw, they, they kick over and over and over again to 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 make their their trick shots and watch their interview. Rarely, I mean, rarely do they ever get a trick shot on the first time. And I was watching one and and, and once it took them two days. Two days to make their shot. Y'all they eventually got it. Not the same for the Old Testament priests. No matter how hard they tried, no matter how perfect their form was in sacrificing, no, no matter how many sacrifice they offered, they could never make it. They could never perfect or save their people. But Jesus did. One offering, done, completed. Too often, far too often, we, we treat our sin, our, our, our shame, our failures, our, our lives the same way Dude Perfect treats trick shots and, and priests treated sacrifices. Like, like Dude Perfect, we believe, man, if we just try hard enough, if we work hard enough, at some point we'll be enough. At, at some point we'll make the shot. And while you may make your shot and work in school, and vacation that you want to take, or the money that you desire to have. You can never, never make your shot in providing hope for yourself. Like priests, we exhaust ourselves in works of service, believing that if we're just good enough, do enough good works, give the perfect gift, will be accepted by our friends our family, and for some, we, we even believe we do good enough, we'll be accepted even by God. And while some people may be bought with works, good deeds, gifts, you cannot buy the grace of God and a hope for the future. But here's the good news. Jesus made the shot we can never make. And he did the work we could never do. Christ's follower, he bought you grace and freed you from a works-based system of salvation. Even more, he bought you hope for the future. Verse 13 says he is waiting for his enemies to be destroyed. Church, there is a day of hope coming, amen? Not in 2021, maybe in 2021, I don't know. He might come back, But, but probably not. But a a real day is coming when sin and death are destroyed. Tears wiped away, sickness and pain removed, the heavens and the earth made new. Church family, rest in the grace and the hope we have been given by Jesus, our great high priest. From the beginning, God's plan was to provide this grace and this hope through Jesus. You know, our our Advent series is just that. God has revealed to us through the the law, the prophets and the Psalms, that his plan of Jesus coming to our rescue, his, his plan was always to write his law on our heart by his spirit through the death and resurrection of his son. This is what verses 15 and 18, 15 through 18 are are pointing to when it says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts. I will write on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, if you were reading along there, uh, I want you to notice some of the, the I statements, these I will statements. I will make a new covenant with them. I will put my law on their hearts. I will write it on their minds. I will remember their sins no longer. Church, These I will statements are not a mantra for you to state for yourself, but rather truth for you to embrace. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit has done all the work. The law is fulfilled. Belief in Christ provides forgiveness for all sin for all time. No more works-based system of salvation. And we praise God for this. Last thing before I close. We're in the Christmas season. Yeah? And, and, and for me, like I love the Christmas season. I'm not a Christmas hater. And songs, I got, I got a Spotify playlist, decoration. Our house is completely decked out. Like we got a real tree. We don't we don't have one of those fake ones. Sorry if you have a fake tree, but we have a real tree. And like Hannah and I even follow the turkey rule. Like, if you don't know what that is, Thanksgiving night, 6 p.m., boom. It's Christmas time. I love Christmas. You see, a lot of us out here are are, are treating Christmas like the law. Do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. That's the law and that's the rule of of Christmas. Yet in Christ, having fulfilled the law-based system of works, he has established the law based on grace. No more do bad, get bad, do good, get good. It's do bad, get good. This is good news, amen? Like here's, here's the irony though. The reason for the season, Jesus coming to fulfill the law. Our practice of this season, better watch out. He knows who's, who's naughty or nice. For, for this reason and probably many others, people, whether they realize it or not, tend to view God like Santa. Do good. Watch out. He has a list of right and wrongs. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So be good for goodness sakes. Well, while God does know all things, y'all listen, he is not waiting for you to fail. Guess what? Like you have already he failed and you can't do anything about it. And he, he knows that you can't do it. He's not waiting for you to fail. So those in Christ, stop living under the law of works. Now I'm not talking about Christmas. Rather, I'm talking to you and even myself. Stop living like you can fix the problem of sin in your life. Jesus has done it. While the presence of sin remains, its power and its penalty has been paid and paid in full. And I'll close with this. Hudson Taylor, he was a British missionary to China in the late 1800s. Uh, he, he founded what, what was China Inland Missions, what is now OMF International. You all know, when, when he was a teenager, uh, he, wasn't a, he wasn't a believer yet. He, he had yet to believe, but his mother, very strong believer. And so one day when, while his mother was gone, he, he went to her bookshelf and, and pulled a book off the shelf. Hudson Taylor, being a a very smart guy and and wanting to to know more and read more, he opened this random book and and it it happened to be a Christian book. And as he had grown up in a Christian household, he knew the language and and culture of Christianity. So he opened it up and and read one chapter and the title of the chapter was The Finished Work of Christ. Now he was confused and he wondered why the author would use such language. Why not use the atoning language work of Christ. Well, immediately within the book that the phrase stuck out to him, the phrase, it is finished, stuck out. Still confused, he wondered, well, what is finished? What was finished? At that moment, Hudson Taylor felt in his heart, what is finished is a full and perfect atonement for sin. The debt was paid by the great Substitute Christ died for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Then at last he thought, if the whole work is finished and the whole debt is paid, what then is there left for me to do? That afternoon he, he believed in Christ as Lord and as Savior. Christ follower, listen. The work finished. The debt is paid. Grace has been given. The law has been fulfilled. Live in his grace. Follow Jesus's example. Enjoy his grace and extend his glory. And for, for those of you who are, here, who are here this morning that are not yet in Christ, y'all, the same truth is for you. The work, it's finished. The debt, it's paid. What then is there left for you to do but to call on Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as the greatest sacrifice and great high priest? He saves you from sin and gives you hope for the future. Hope where sin and death and pain no longer exist. Y'all pray with me.